Eufy is sponsoring today's video. They reached out to me. I tested out their video lock. It is a game changer. I'm going to paint a picture for you for why I'm so excited to work with them. So you're getting home. Your arms are loaded with groceries or packages or boxes or everything. And your keys are in your pocket. This drives me nuts. This happens all the time. I upgraded to the Eufy video lock. Fingerprint tap i'm inside and honestly i also feel way safer it's got this awesome built-in camera so whether it's a package delivery or late night uber order i see exactly who's there right from my phone there are no more mystery knocks and the best part this thing was such a breeze to set up there's no wires there's no drilling uh, there's also no monthly subscription fees so if you are done fumbling with your keys because i definitely am search for eufy video lock or head over to eufyofficial.com slash video lock your front door, your sanity. I just want to take a second and thank Policy Genius. They're supporting today's episode of Success Story. I know we all have kids. We all have families we want to take care of. And I personally check something off major on my to-do list, life insurance. It's a tough topic. It's really hard to think about, but it's so important. And the hard part was sorting through all the options. Luckily, I found Policy Genius. Policy Genius is an online insurance marketplace that makes getting life insurance surprisingly easy. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for a million dollars of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Now, knowing my family's protected brings me incredible peace of mind. Don't put off this important decision. Check life insurance off your to-do list in no time with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Welcome to Success Story, the most useful podcast in the world. I'm your host, Scott D. Clary. The Success Story podcast is part of the HubSpot Podcast Network. The HubSpot Podcast Network is the audio destination for business professionals who seek the best education and inspiration on how to grow a business. Hosts in the HubSpot Podcast Network act as on-demand mentors for entrepreneurs, startups, and scale-ups offering resources, practical tips, and inspirational stories. Listen, learn, and grow with the HubSpot Podcast Network at HubSpot dot com slash podcast network. Today, my guest is Fiona Smith, aka the Millennial Money Woman. Fiona holds her Master's of Science degree in personal finance and personal financial planning and has co-founded not only her own business, but a local charitable nonprofit community teaching financial literacy to young professionals. She's dedicated her life teaching and mentoring a younger generation in personal finance. So she gained knowledge and practiced finan uh, healthy financial habits from a very young age. She purchased her first house at 23, has no debt, co-founded several organizations, and is well on her way to being a millionaire and multimillionaire. Her brand has grown, showcasing the need for what she teaches to the point where she has been asked to be a regular contributor for Forbes. She has also been featured in Forbes, Invez, Oberlo, Budgets Are Sexy, and a variety of other financial publications and outlets. Her website, themillennialmoneywoman.com, was listed as a top 50 personal finance blog and is currently one of the fastest growing finance blogs globally. She's also racked up an enormous social following on the same topic. Today, we spoke about a few different personal finance things. So first of all, we spoke about financial education and literacy, why the system is broken and what we can do to fix it. We spoke about how quite literally anybody can become a millionaire. We spoke about the mindset of the rich and how you can apply that to your life. We spoke about frugal living tips that allowed her to invest over 70% of her income. And we also 
also spoke how life-changing events like the pandemic actually allow people to start their own business and how she used the pandemic as a net positive for her own business. So we really went through a couple different tips and strategies, but also some mindset things that I think would be very valuable if you are still working a nine to five and you're trying to break away and start your own business. And then we also spoke about how she grew her own business. So she grew it through social. Uh, She grew a highly successful website. So technically it's just a blog. And we're going to speak about her strategy for how she creates content and how she gets engagement and how she used her social, as well as how she writes articles that still draw tons of traffic. She, again, in the past year has created a massive social following and a blog that is growing faster than blogs that have been around for 10 plus years. So she breaks down her strategy for that. Anyways, this is Fiona Smith. She is the millennial money woman. Grew up in a, uh, you know, immigrant, first of all. Uh, so not English was not his first language, had a mother, no father in a household, very poor, um, and probably one of the worst parts um, in the city. All right. Thanks again for joining me today. I'm sitting down with Fiona Smith, aka the Millennial Money Woman. She holds her Master's of Science degree in personal financial planning and has co-founded local charitable nonprofit communities, uh, teaching financial literacy to young professionals, hence the name. She has dedicated her life to teaching and mentoring a younger generation in personal finance, fiscal responsibility, entrepreneurship, subjects she never felt that she learned growing up. Um, and I think that many of us can say that that's something that we didn't really cover in, uh, in our education because she gained knowledge and practiced healthy financial habits and finance habits. She purchased her first house at 23 has no debt minus her mortgage. She co-founded, uh, this community. Uh, she's well on her way to becoming uh, a millionaire uh, very, very soon. Her brand has grown showcasing the need for what she teaches to the point where she has uh, become a regular contributor for Forbes. She's also been featured in Invez, Oberlo, Budgets Are Sexy, and a variety of other financial publications and outlets. Her website, themillennialmoneywoman.com, was listed as a top 50 personal finance blog and is currently one of the fastest growing personal finance blogs globally. Thank you very much for sitting down. That's quite a that's quite a resume, um, and it's good work that you're doing. I, I don't think anyone can uh, can debate that. But I'm very curious about your story. So how did this all come to be? Well, <laughs> and you may yeah. go yeah. ahead. <laughs> no, I was going to say, and 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 one point that I think we'll have to address at, at some some throughout the show, um, your brand that you've built transcends regular people's perception of what a brand is and that's why if you're if you're watching you have uh you have the pink hair you have the glasses and this is what you've built out over the past i guess i don't know how many years but i'll also want to dive into that and and why this is your brand and how it's worked for you but anyways go ahead Absolutely. Well, first of all, I wanted to say thank you so much for having me, Scott, on your podcast, on your production. This is a true honor. So thank you. Um, And I'll go ahead and definitely share how I started. Uh, I think 
honestly, I'm going to rewind here a couple of decades almost um, back to when I was about 10 years old. And it, it actually started with my grandparents who were absolute uh, heroes in my eyes. Um, my grandparents, they worked together to build a small family business, nothing fancy, but they worked every single day. Um, you know, they were mom and pop shop entrepreneurs. Unfortunately, when they were about 70 years old, you know, just about to head into retirement, um, they had some pretty poor financial planning uh, issues. So, you know, long story short, they lost everything they ever worked for and more. And they ultimately had to work uh, basically until they passed away. So I, I saw that, you know, hands on. And I think as a young child, especially when you see something like that happening, um, it will definitely have an impact on you. And some people, you know, they might shy away um, others, they might be curious and want to explore more, like, why did this actually happen and how can you prevent that? And I was that person. I wanted to figure out, number one, why did they end up not retiring and why why did they lose their business, their money, everything? And I think that was kind of the seed that started my curiosity and my adventure into finance and then ultimately entrepreneurship, which is what, you know, caused me to build the millennial money woman in the first place. <laughs> is this, is, so did you ever, you know, going back, you said you had a, a master's of science in yes. personal financial planning, which is a great degree. First, I didn't even know that existed. So that's okay. incredible that even is offered. But um, besides that, after your degree, did you have a, quote unquote job or did you go right into this? Great question. So yes, I did have a job in corporate America. I worked there for, I mean, gosh, probably 12, 15 hours a day, worked on weekends too. I mean, you guys probably know the story. It's a lot of work. Um, it's cutthroat and it was in finance, uh, obviously, since I had my master's degree. Um, it's not always, you know, fun. Like I think the media likes to portray, you know, when you work really hard, really long, you're rewarded with um, a lot of money. And, you know, I, I don't think that was really necessarily the case always, especially for me, because you feel like your freedom is taken away. Um, and I think especially for young millennials um, like myself, for instance, and like you too, Scott, uh, you know, freedom is definitely something that we want or, or I think most of us want. Um, and by freedom, I don't just mean uh, money. I also mean time, being able to do the things we want to do, something that fulfills us, something that has purpose for our lives. And the ultimate, um, I guess, switch that what caused me to decide, okay, I'm done serving my time in corporate America and it's time to really pursue what I want to do was the pandemic. And so in March or actually May of 2020, um, that's when I pulled the trigger and I started the blog. And I mean, it's been literally a whirlwind. It has been super difficult. I mean, like, I'm not kidding when I say I work probably over 120 hours a week. It was ridiculous, um, but <laughs> still is ridiculous. But it is absolutely my passion. I love every second. And um, and I really see that it's making a positive impact. And that's, you know, that's the beauty of it all. Mm -hmm. And uh, your first steps into entrepreneurship. So you started the millennialmoneywoman.com blog. Did you quit and start or was this like building the blog while you're still working? Yeah, great question. So number one, I did my industry research first um, while I was still working in corporate America. So um, something I definitely recommend if anyone has, you know, the vision to start a company 
it would probably be a good idea to first do your industry research, maybe shadow a couple of industry experts, right? Um, on their day-to-day -day job. See if that's something that you truly enjoy doing because the worst thing that can happen is you end up quitting your job and then you start your research and figure out, oh my gosh, it's actually not what you like to do. Um, and the reason why I'm saying this is actually one of my mentees um, in my nonprofit, that's what he did. He was, uh, I think, like 28 or 29 years old. He was in corporate America. I think he was earning like $130,000, $140,000 a year in a job he hated. And one day he decided to pull the trigger, quit, and then do the industry research, build a company. And unfortunately, he found out too late he didn't like it. And he had to start all over again in a job he didn't like. And that's very unfortunate, but it's a lesson to be learned. And so to answer your question, long story short, I did my research first and I decided, yes, this is what I want to do. Then I quit and then I poured 110% effort into this blog. And this blog, because if you're quitting your job and you're putting 110% uh, effort and you know, you're working a lot and that's something also, that's a, you know, that's a point that I, I've heard a lot from different entrepreneurs and I've also experienced it myself. Like when you go into your own thing, it better be something you love because yes. you, you're going to dedicate way more hours than you would for a, a, a job. Right. So, so now you have a blog. Um, what, what's the, what's the actual business? Is it mentoring? Is it consulting? Is it, uh, I think you, uh, well, obviously if you have enough traffic, you can make ad revenue there. You can sell courses, you can teach. So what's, what is, what is what you do now? Definitely. So number one, it's focusing on affiliate marketing. So like you said, a lot of it is actually through traffic. Now I, I've been very fortunate that my blog and I think my brand has, um, taken a hold very fast and it's been able to drive, I think, traffic faster to my website than perhaps other websites. Um, and I think partly, um, that's probably due to my brand and, um, the way I use social media platforms, which has been a huge uh, in incentive, I think, for a lot of audience members to come to my blog. So social media for me, uh, in particular, Twitter has definitely helped drive a lot of number one revenue and number two, just audience and uh, feedback. And I use a lot of feedback from my audience. Like I email them, I talk to them over Zoom, et cetera, um, to figure out what do they like, what do they not like, and how can I actually improve my blog and the products and services that I provide. Um, so that being said, blog is number affiliate traffic, I guess, is the first thing that drives money. Um, the second thing is I released a book, actually, uh, How to Get Rich from Nothing. And um, that has definitely gone well so far, knock on wood. Um, and that has definitely been like another little, you know, cherry on top, I guess, on top of the affiliate marketing. And then on top of that, also, um, on Twitter in general, I provide um, I'm affiliated with a couple of different services out there and that they have done actually very well. And that has also helped drive traffic. But those are my three main sources. And I do plan to actually expand into further territory. Um, next year, my, my plan is to go into probably YouTube and try to um, expand say, in that sense. Finance, yeah, finance YouTube, you got a really healthy CPM on finance YouTube. Yeah. And, and if you're teaching, you have the stuff, right? You, you know, you That's know right. what you, people need to learn. Yeah. Um, and that's, I think that's a lesson in and of itself. 
uh, of course. So, so for people that are listening for, for affiliate marketing, of course, you can always sell your own product, but this is another way that some people start to make money as a side hustle. Uh, if they have the exposure, they have the brand, they have the traffic, um, you can have other great products that you vetted and you make sure that those products are good and you can sell them to your audience and you just get, you know, you get, you, you get revenue off that. You get a revenue share based on, the, you know, um, if somebody purchased it or whatnot. So that's a great way to, to easily make some, you know, side money, um, especially have that brand. But also, you're not going to get that brand from nothing. Like, you have to build that, you know, looking at your site. Um, I, I, you know, it's funny. You have a background in finance, but you have a, you have a really, really strong edge on, on how to market yourself, but also how to create content that's useful, right? That's extremely useful for people. And that's really what, that's what marketing is at the end of the day. Walk me through, because, and actually, sorry, I, I don't like doing double questions, but I'm gonna do a double question because I, there's two things that are on top of mind. I don't wanna forget the second. So firstly, um, has your business completely replaced the money that you are making in corporate yet, two years later? And secondly, after you answer that, because I'm curious, um, for your content, what is your content strategy that you have used to build your Twitter, your blog, generate traffic? Um, and, and how did you how did you think through your content strategy? Yeah, great question. So to answer your first one, has my revenue from the blog and the service, et cetera, has that actually matched, equaled, or exceeded what I earned in uh, corporate America? The answer is no, it has not. However, um, as an entrepreneur, I think uh, we're able to see very early on in terms of, is there actually growth potential? And the answer, at least for, for my situation, is absolutely 100% yes. Um, I was able to see not only my email subscriber list, I think within the first four months, I grew my email list by over 1,000%. I mean, it's just exploded. Um, with impressive. Twitter... Yeah, it it was it was um, mind blowing. I was not expecting that either. Um, with Twitter, for example, which is my main social media platform uh, right now, at least, uh, I was able to grow it to four thousand followers um, within a couple of months. But it's nothing impressive, and I was actually losing a lot of followers. So I figured, okay, I need to figure out how to reposition my strategy. And this probably flows into your second question: content mm -hmm. creation. How am I able to actually de deliver the value that my audience is looking for um, so I not only gain my audience engagement, but also increase my followership, right? Um, and I was able to reposition myself uh, by providing actionable advice. I think my audience really likes having key bullet points, and I didn't have that before. I had just kind of like platitude you know, in general stuff. A lot of no, us default really. to platitudes on Twitter. It's horrible. Oh my God, so many. Yeah, you got it. So many. Um, and from there, I was able to create what's known as a thread on Twitter, which are um, kind of like stories, but they actually provide, it's like a small blog post kind of condensed into a couple of tweets altogether. That's what a thread is. Um, and I think that's kind of helped me, number one, like gain the trust, and number two, increase my, my reach um, astronomically. So uh, again, thinking from that entrepreneur level, I was able to increase my impressions from, I think, 80,000 to over 5 million within like two months. And I, I mean, it's just gone up from there. And that was like last year, November, December. So um, and then money wise, too, it, I was definitely not earning at all what I was earning in my corporate job. But um, I would say it increased by 600% within 
just one month and it increased again by another 200%. So yes, I have an emergency savings fund, which I'm certainly using here and there. And I certainly recommend that for viewers who are considering transitioning over into their own business. Um, but the, the beauty of it is if you have an emergency savings fund, you don't have to worry about, you know, oh my gosh, am I going to run out of money? And I know I won't because my business, it's, it's just growing every single day. And that's, but that's because I put in the work too. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's smart. And that's, um, I think that I've seen, you know, it's interesting out of all the social media platforms, there's some that if you really, well, honestly, can make or break a business. Um, and I yeah. was just, I was just curious, like your strategy, maybe a little bit selfishly, because I also want to, now I'm looking through, I'm like, okay, after this show, I'm going to start, I'm going to start understanding how to break down a really good Twitter thread and, <laughs> and start incorporating my own content strategy. But regardless, I think that's something that people really have to like look at the people that are doing it well like you figured it out you obviously and then emulate that and then you know once you have that that sort of core strategy down then it doesn't matter what the hell you're selling you sell whatever you want you do whatever right. you want with it i look at like um uh uh anthony uh what's his face uh, uh pompliano is somebody who also just absolutely killed it yes. on twitter and now that's grown his newsletter that's a uh, subscription newsletter his youtube podcast all that stuff so and then I see people do it like on other socials as well. But I think that for, for business products, like it works well on Twitter. Um, and then also you, I'm sure you have a content strategy for your site as well, because yes. that's also growing. So walk me through that. Yeah, definitely. Um, and actually I, I do also want to say like in terms of content, I first started um, thinking that Pinterest was the best platform, you know, in terms mm -hmm. of like pushing out number one, obviously I have it on my website, but then pushing out the content on Pinterest. Um, and that was probably one of my biggest failures. It was, I mean, it just did not work for me, the strategy itself, like um, trying to publish, trying to get clicks. I still probably get between 400 to 600 clicks um, from Pinterest, but it's, it's, I mean, obviously nowhere near what Twitter is. So I had to go through quite a bit of failure to realize my strengths, but I think that's part of every entrepreneur's journey. Um, so regarding content strategy, on my website, I tried to figure out, I, I, this goes back to the feedback that I get from my audience. I try to figure out what exactly is it that people who are number one millennials and number two trying to just you know get the basic ropes of finance. What are they trying to do? What are they trying to learn? And what's stopping them from learning it on other bigger websites? And so there are a couple of things that I found out. Number one, most websites, they don't really break down financial topics into layman's terms, like into plain English. Um, and, you know, coming from a financial background, for me, it makes sense. But for others, it's like a different language. I mean, there's so many different abbreviations in finance, right? Like RMD, 401k, IRA, yeah. BDA, it, like, what does all that mean? Um, so my goal, number one, is to break down those pretty complex topics and terms into everyday English terms. And then the second thing that I found out from my audience is that a lot of, um, you know, bigger finance websites, they don't necessarily use images as much. And a lot of my audience, at least, is very visual. Hence also, you know, the, the colorful, you know, yeah. brand, I guess, if you will. And my pictures are designed, you know, it, within each blog post, I try to create, incorporate pictures that try to break down those larger concepts into, again, visually appealing uh, creations to help uh, my audience understand finance, even if there's, you know, a big um, 
a big topic or a key lesson that I want them to know, I, I highlight that, I outline it in my blog post so their eyes get drawn directly to it um, instead of, you know, taking 10 paragraphs to explain that one key topic. So that's like in terms of visual aspect, that's kind of how I try to create my content. And in, actu in terms of the actual content, um, that's just literally going to my audience, asking them for feedback and advice um, and figuring out like, okay, what's new? Like right now, obviously cryptocurrency is kind of the hot thing. Um, so I've been trying to fit, you know, figure out how can I write about um, cryptocurrency in basic English terms. Uh, so I wrote a blog article about cryptocurrency. I wrote a blog article about how to use Coinbase and literally take screenshots from mm -hmm. clicking to get started to like every single little button I do screenshots of so no one will get confused. Smart. Yeah. Very smart. Very, no, very, very, very smart. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off there. Is there, is there more to the content strategy? No, I, I just, I, I was just thinking through, like, it's it, it just so simple. I'm scanning through your blog as we speak yeah. and it's just very, like, it's so, it's so, it's, it's a, like a pleasant read. I know it sounds stupid, but it's like, <laughs> you know, it's just easy to read through. I'm just reading one, how to make money on Twitter. I'm going to read this later. And I'm like, <laughs> no, it's, it's very good. It works. <laughs> Very good. Um, yeah, no, I think that there's actually a uh, website called uh, Hemingway, I want to say. Um, I And I use that as, um, a, you know, it helped me in the beginning, at least on my blogging journey, to literally try to write like a sixth grade level or, or less than a sixth grade level. So, um, you know, at first, I think, at least in school and in college, we're taught that if we, you know, throw in a bunch of jargon, very complex technical knowledge, we sound really smart, um, which we might definitely. But for, you know, if we have a blog and we try to market this to the everyday person, especially you know, millennials, for example, who might not have a finance background, and this is totally foreign language, um, throwing in jargon is only going to turn them off. It's not going to keep them glued and stuck to that. So um, I use this resource to help me kind of, you know, figure out how I can, you know, again, make it a pleasant read, like you said. And I love hearing that. That's literally my goal to try to make it as smooth and readable as possible. Yeah. And and not full of jargon and not just a text wall and actually yeah. something that people like want to want to enjoy and, and read through. Um, okay, very good. So that's so that's sort of that's sort of how you've built out your business. Like that's 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 pretty. Like I don't I don't mean to diminish. It. I, I was gonna say that's pretty much it. But I, I didn't mean a negative way. In like a, that's how you've built out your content strategy, your social, your blog, um, and that's what you're going to. So that's you know this is just I love this is I love that this is such an easy example of how entrepreneurship this is entrepreneurship and it's not complicated it's not hiring a developer it's not being a developer it's not inventing the next facebook like it's just you've just done something that is in line with what you love and you're making money off it and and now it's going to eventually replace a job in finance which <laughs> a lot of jobs in finance pay a lot of money. I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, HubSpot. HubSpot's CRM is the easiest tool you can ever find to align your team. There are two features that you need in a CRM that optimize every activity your team does. It's the ability to communicate, meaning chat, email, etc., messaging, as well as a unified system of record. Your company is going to use a CRM to manage conversations with prospects and customers throughout all stages 
stages of the buyer journey. And as your company grows, these conversations get a little bit more difficult. Information may get lost. Communication may be disjointed and HubSpot solves all that. Using HubSpot as your CRM makes sure that all of your communication and your records are unified across your entire organization, meaning that from when you first have that initial touch point with the customer and they enter your funnel all the way through to when they actually sign that contract and after with customer success, every piece of information, every bit of communication is aligned and congruent across your company. You can install live chat on your website and allow sales or support to talk to prospects directly. You can send marketing emails on behalf of a sales rep to complement their outbound campaign. You can allow prospects to book meetings directly from marketing emails right into a sales rep's calendar. And all the interaction, all the communication is seamlessly documented into your HubSpot CRM so that if somebody else has to look into an account or to help out, they know exactly where the last person left off. Best of all, with HubSpot's various price points and flexible pricing, any company at any stage can take advantage of the various features that HubSpot has to offer, starting with free and allowing for more scalability and complexity as your organization grows. Learn how to scale your company without scaling complexity at HubSpot.com. All right, let's get back to the show. So it was it was incredible like i think the first time i was ever introduced to blogging was not actually in college um it was when i was in my corporate job and one of my colleagues brought up a uh personal finance blog and this blogger had um the number of how much money he was making and this was you know just a few years ago and when i saw the monthly income which at that time i think was i don't know probably 30,000, maybe something like that per month. I was thinking to myself, man, am I in the wrong job? I am so in the wrong job. And that actually started my entire journey. Like that was the first seed that I was like, hmm, maybe I should reposition myself, you know, into the blogging world. It took a couple of years until the pandemic. But, um, you know, when I saw that, like you said, you don't need to reinvent the wheel to become a successful entrepreneur. You don't need to spend hundreds of thousands, create an actual brick and mortar store. You don't need that. Mm -hmm. You can do it right and, from home. And the way you do and the way you do this, theoretically, somebody could still be doing this while they're working for a company. Or That's this right. could be the first thing that they do. They start making money and then and then when you have steady income and you have the time and the, we spoke about freedom, then you can mm -hmm. do whatever the hell you want. Then you, you want to be more complicated, you want to do more things, you want to write a book, you wanna do whatever you want. Um, but just get started. But okay, so let's go into let's go into some of the things that you teach over and some of the things that you know, our core to, to, uh, millennial money. Um, you, you brought up some really good topics that I'd love to dive into. So, uh, millennial money myths, what are some, and because you sort of, you know, it's funny, everything in your life has been, you're sort of like living, you know, you eat your own dog food, so to speak, you're living all the things that you teach over entrepreneurship, but now let's go into the, the millennial portion. You have, you've owned your own home since 23. Um, mm -hmm. These are all smart things. So, okay, let's start it off. Millennial money myths. What are some? <laughs> all right, let's go for it. So yeah. um, I'd actually say the number one millennial money myths I've heard over and over again is that to be successful in America, you have to own a home. And I know it's really funny coming from a homeowner, but honestly, I'm going to be you know, totally honest about it. It is not all what it's out to be. It's really not. Homeownership might not be right for you. And that's totally fine. Like you do not need to own a, you know, $300,000, whatever it is, uh, home in order to be considered, you know, 
you've made it. Um, and honestly, it's because of liquidity. You know, again, a house isn't necessarily liquid like a bank account. You have super high initial costs, right? You, you talk about a preferably at least 20% down payment of your home. You got inspector's fees, um, not to mention all of the maintenance and the repair work that has to be done. Like I have an air conditioner that's about to go. Uh, yesterday, we had a pretty bad thunderstorm, actually. So <laughs> I was really worried. I turned it off. And I'm like, no, please don't hit my air conditioner. <laughs> <laughs> the plumbing, I mean, I have plumbing issues too. So I, I went through probably a couple of hours on YouTube myself, you know, try to save money, figure out plumbing issues, which is not a good site. Uh, so no, it's not always, you know, amazing. And you do not need a house apartment lifestyle or condo lifestyle or whatever it is that you want is definitely okay. If that's what works for your lifestyle. So um, that's number one, you don't need a house to be successful. Number two, uh, an excuse I offer here is that I don't earn enough money in order to invest today and I'll do it tomorrow. So that is, I think, honestly, like I said, it's an excuse. Um, and the real, the real reason behind it is because thanks to modern technology, like um, investment platforms such as M1 Finance, you got Acorns, you got, I think, Robinhood, you got Stash, you know, the list goes on. There's something called fractional investing. And what fractional investing is, is that you don't need $3,000 to buy one share in Amazon. You literally can have five bucks and you can already be a fractional owner of Amazon and also in Apple, et cetera, et cetera. So no, you don't need hundreds or thousands of dollars to start investing. You can literally start with five bucks and I'm pretty sure everyone can do that. So um, no more excuses there. And the third one that I hear very often is honestly, it's about life insurance. I hear that life insurance is a total waste of money. And I get it because I think that life insurance has gotten a pretty bad rap over the last couple of years because of, uh, you know, sleazy life insurance salesmen. They try to push their products on you um, in exchange for pretty nice uh, commissions. And typically speaking, though, there are two types of life insurance products. There's one called a term life insurance product, which is like the simplest, the cheapest form of life insurance. And it's it's often recommended for millennials. And then there's something called a cash value life insurance. And that's kind of like an umbrella terminology, which covers whole life insurance, universal life, the list goes on and on. And what's a cash value life insurance product, that's typically what's pushed onto millennials. Those are expensive. Those are permanent. Um, and typically speaking, they don't match a millennial lifestyle. So um, anyway, long story short, life insurance isn't always a waste of money. If you have a family, if you have uh, people depending on you for income, if you have a big liability like a mortgage and you have a spouse, for example, um, that might need your help in the down the road, a term life insurance policy could actually help. You can get um, you know, half a million dollars, a million dollars of death benefit for 30 bucks a month. You know, it's, it's not that bad. So mm -hmm. uh, that's the last myth that uh, I hear very often. Yeah. Interesting. So, okay. So then there's, so there's some myths that obviously uh, that we're trying to educate millennials on. There's also some, I'm sure some mindset, um, yes. some mindset things that I would love for you to go into, because I think that you know, it's, it's funny, you, you, you hang around with certain circles and you, people are, are speaking about, well, there's, you know, millions of millionaires being created every single year. Then, then you go to the average person and you're like, you know, I can't even, I can't even, you know, pay rent this month. So 
how do we how do we bridge that gap how do we how do we get people to see a different future for themselves and i'm assuming mindset is, mindset but also like tips to get there obviously mindset is one thing but then also also actioning some stuff will probably help as well definitely so yes to answer your question i think that is pretty much one of the biggest things it's the mindset that separates um, the successful from the unsuccessful and i like to refer to a stanford researcher her name is dr carol dweck and um she i mean she has written and, and done so much incredible work when it comes to the mindset of successful people um that space and in particular she wrote a book about um the growth mindset and what is known as the fixed mindset and i'm sure you know just hearing those two words uh you can probably discern what they mean so growth Growth mindset is for someone who does not believe their talents are, you know, fixed. They can't improve. A uh, person with a growth mindset is someone who loves seeing their colleagues and their peers succeed. They believe in the saying that a rising tide really does lift all boats because, um, you know, if your friends succeed, they can help you succeed in turn. So it's it's a completely mutual benefit. Um, so that's a growth mindset in very short, in a short def defined way. A fixed mindset, on the other hand, is someone who, you know, is envious of successful people. It's someone who believes that putting in hard work is actually a weakness because it means you don't have the natural talent to become successful. It's someone who believes that wherever they are in life, they can't succeed, period. That's it. So, um, and, and it's very common actually for people to have traits of both. I myself was someone who had actually more traits of the fixed mindset than the growth mindset until I read Dr. Dweck's book. And when I read that book, I realized where I was on the scale and what I needed to do to change over into the growth mindset. So, to change over into the growth mindset, if you're one of those people that thinks, you know, you might be under the fixed mindset umbrella, number one is just knowing that you have an option of changing. I think just realizing that you have the choice of changing from the fixed mindset to the growth mindset, it's such a huge step. So that's the first step. The next step is actually trying to read and learn more about what it is that a growth mindset takes, um, you know, to unlock all of those areas and keys to success in your life. And the third step is actually start implementing and putting in little daily habits to enter into that growth mindset. So for example, here's what I did. I put little sticky notes on my, um, on my bathroom mirror. So every morning I'm reminded of some of the things I need to do and need to think physically in order to enter into that growth mindset. And I think um, there's a fantastic book out there. It's called habits and it kind of you know teaches you about what you need to do in order to create a physical habit and make it automatic behavior and i think research shows that roughly around 66 days ish it takes you to actually implement ha specific actions to create it into a habit and that's what i did so every day reading my sticky notes making sure that you know number one i'm motivated number two i'm doing the things i need to do to become successful believe in myself and after 66 days about I actually started implementing all this into automatic behavior and you will literally never look back again. Hmm. Very interesting. Yeah. Um, I think it's interesting coming. I think it's interesting to hear you describe it only because 
I don't know when that shift happened in my life, but I've always defaulted to a growth mindset mentality. Mm -hmm. I don't really know. Like I, I never, I personally never took like steps. It just sort of manifested as I pushed myself to do more and to, and, and whatnot. And it seems like now when you're in it, it's hard to unpack how somebody couldn't see life that yeah. way. It's difficult to shape, to change your lens back. But I appreciate that that's something that a lot of people struggle with. And even, you know, the, the simple steps that you took to build your own business um, I feel like that's something that even taking those first steps, everyone's like, well, what, what's the point? I don't, like, it's not going to happen to me or, or it seems like it's like, you know, it, it seems like I, I can never get to the point where I can make enough money to support my own family or it's too risky or whatnot. So I think that, you know, like I said, part of it is, and, and sorry, you said uh, rather part of it is the mindset, but also like taking those small little steps. Once you have that yeah. mindset that almost like gives you permission to do whatever the, what, whatever it is you have to do. I think it's, I think that's what you really have to focus on. Um, and then once you have that permission, you, you've given yourself that permission with that growth mindset, then there's really nothing that in my, in my opinion, you could, could ever hold you back. Um, what do you, do you have? So after somebody actions on this and has, and has sort of like a mindset shift okay. towards how they, uh, how they view their life and how they view what they could potentially accomplish. What would you recommend for somebody who let's assume that somebody wants to start their own business to reinvest in themselves? Um, you said, okay, you have, you have uh, frugal living tips, but is that the best way? Is it to save money first or is it just to start investing, start a side hustle? Person has mindset locked in. What did they do next to build their own thing? Perfect. Great question, Scott. So um, I think before even thinking about money at all, it, for me, at least what worked well was finding a mentor. Um, for me, my mentor helped. He was, I don't know, probably like six decades older than me. Very well seasoned, you know, executive. Um, I was very fortunate to meet him. Um, and he, he taught me some of the basic steps that I would need to work and, and focus on in order to build a successful business down the road. Um, so, you know, that includes looking at finances, but not just finances, figuring out how to interact with, you know, prospects, figuring out how to, you know, hold myself in conversations in the boardroom, whatever it is. So I think finding a mentor in your area, whatever it is, if it's a blog, if it's actually, you know, building a brick and mortar business, find a mentor who's willing to give you the time and help you literally jump ahead of the rest of the game. Because I personally think that mentors are the, the ultimate shortcut in life. They can give you so much advice and help you save time, energy, and money. So that's number one. And then number two, when it comes to money, yes. Yeah, so I would, I would probably recommend that starting off at paying off high interest debt. So like credit card debt, right? So, I mean, definitely don't live with high interest debt. Um, the second thing then is yes, focusing on investing in the stock market, for example. Um, I'm, so, I'm a big believer in just investing in low cost index funds. So I'm uh, very passive. I, you know, yes, I do know a lot more stock market terminology, but for my own personal purposes, I just do a dollar cost averaging strategy, which is automatic. It's a, you know, a set amount of money over a very long period of time. For me, it's going to be like four, five, six decades, um, you know, down the road, investing and sticking to that strategy. 
that's my ultimate plan. Um, but I think it even boils down to simpler terms. It's just to quite simply spend less than you earn. And I think, you know, it, it, becoming a millionaire or a hundred thousand or whatever the goal is in your personal life, it really just comes down to spend less than you earn. It's that simple. And anything that, oh, go ahead. And I was going to say, where do, where do people, where do people spend and waste the most money? Oh, yes. I think number one is cars, um, especially newer cars. <laughs> I just, I'm like, oh, just thinking. Oh, and maybe, yeah, she's not wrong. <laughs> I mean, yes, cars are made. I myself, actually, I love cars. I'm a big car geek. I, I love everything about cars, especially uh, racing, all of that type of stuff. So I'm definitely into that. Um, but I do know that if you want to focus on building your wealth, especially in the long term, it's probably not a good idea to spend money on depreciating assets. Now, I know not all cars are depreciating assets. I know that there are some luxury cars out there that probably appreciate, but uh, it probably takes yeah, a couple hundred thousand yeah. to buy them. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yes. It's not the average Toyota. <laughs> it's not the average Toyota. That's right. So definitely stay away from brand new cars. I think the, they depreciate the second you drive them off the parking car lot, actually. So stay away from that. The second thing that I see a lot of people um, overspend money on is actually subscription services. Um, you know, if you look through your budget and take a look at how much recurring money that go comes off of your credit card, for example. So we're talking Spotify, Netflix, um, any other subscription service. It actually adds up over the long term. And what I like to do is add up your subscription services over one month. So let's say it costs you 30 bucks for all of your subscription services. Okay. Multiply that over a year, right? So that's 360 and then multiply that by 10 years. That's 3,600 bucks, right? Yeah. So like if you look at it in the long term, what could you do with 3,600 bucks? Like a lot of different things. So um, again, it's all about looking in the long term and it will change your life. Now, okay. So uh, one thing, so how did you, how did you save? Okay, so there's, yes. So you look at your subscriptions. Yeah. Um, but you went a step further um, when you were, I guess, uh, saving up this rainy day fund before mm -hmm. you started your business. Uh, you said you saved 70 percent of your income. That's yes. more than just canceling Netflix. So how did you do that? <laughs> that is definitely more than canceling Netflix. So um, I think number one, I was just very frugal when it came to you know eating. I did not treat restaurants as a source of food. Mm -hmm. I just totally quit eating out. Um, I actually did take on a couple of side hustles too. Um, I worked every single day uh, for probably five years straight, including holidays, everything. Um, very long hours. It was a lot of sacrifice. Um, had to say no to a lot of uh, you know time out with my friends or whatever. Um, no new clothes, for example. I had a roommate as well to pay half the bills. I think roommates, especially for people who are um, struggling in terms of finding additional income, that's, a, that's such a great way to find an extra source of income, literally cut your living expenses in half, at least, you know, when it comes to utilities, electricity, etc. Um, and, and then also cell phone bills, cable bills, Wi-Fi bills, there are services out there like Bill Shark. Uh, I know that's a very effective one. They actually negotiate on your behalf for free, uh, uh, at least at first, um, to lower your Wi-Fi bills, for example, <laughs> 
And um, yeah, yeah, it's really neat. They do it all for free. They typically have, a, I think, a 90% success rate. Um, And then anything that they are able to lower for you, you pay like, I think, 40% of the savings, which is still totally worth it, right? You don't Mm -hmm. have to do anything. They negotiate it for you. Um, And then insurance, like I think a lot of people like uh, car insurance, health insurance, et cetera, a lot of people don't actually shop the market. Um, And that's something I've learned to do very well. Uh, Shop the market, get quotes, maybe change a couple of things within your car insurance quote, like the liability coverage for example, if you're able to drop that down um, or maybe change it around a little bit, depending on your situation, um, that can certainly help you save a lot of money in the, in the long run too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very, very smart. Very smart. Um, and the last thing that I wanted to dive into, because this was also a very interesting point, and you, you touched on it briefly. Um, anybody can become a millionaire with the dollar cost averaging strategy. Yes. So what does that mean? Yes. Great question. Um, I'm actually going to start it with a story. So I when love I stories. Was... Let's do it. <laughs> Let's do it. When I was um, working in my nonprofit, um, I started actually in a very small school and it was under for underprivileged young girls. Uh, so these were like, you know, six to 10 year old girls and their parents, they couldn't even afford, um, you know, an, an alarm clock basically to get them to go to school. It's, it's that type of environment. So um, definitely a place where I knew I had to give back um, as much as I could. So the first, it was a one hour long class that with maybe 16 girls or so. I first asked them, who here believes that they can become a millionaire? The very first minute I was in this classroom and not one single hand shot up, not one. And during the class, during this one hour class, we discussed the dollar cost averaging strategy. And by the end of that one hour period, I asked the same question again, who here believes you can become a millionaire? And every single hand shot up. And it's just, it's incredible. I still get goosebumps thinking about it because you're able to see like helping these young kids and not just young kids. Now, obviously talking to you and your audience as well, everyone can become a millionaire if they really put their mind to it. So this goes back to your question. What is the dollar cost averaging strategy? It's also known as the DCA strategy. And what it is, it's basically fancy talk for um, putting a certain amount of money, let's call it a hundred bucks every week, automatically into an investment account for a very long period of time. So let's take a 401k, for example. A 401k is an employer-sponsored retirement plan. And if you have a 401k, you typically elect a portion of your pay stub, like a 2%, for example, of your paycheck. And every time you get your paycheck, a small portion goes into your 401k and is invested. You don't think about it. You don't do anything. You don't touch a single button. It just happens automatically. And that's literally what dollar cost averaging is all about. It's automatic. It's a small portion of your income, whatever that is. Um, and it's over a long period of time into the stock market. And if you do that for, let's say, 40 years, 50 years even, you can literally become a millionaire. And I found out, I think, I forgot the exact number, but I think it's b- between 9 to $10 a day. If you invest that for um, 40 years or so, it can actually make you a millionaire. So $10 a day down the road, you can become a millionaire. I think this is great. And thank you for, for telling the story and for, and for taking this over because um, pensions are not really a thing 
compared to yeah. what they used to be, right? So right. you're not getting paid out. I, you know, a lot of people in my family work for government. Government, mm-hmm. you work your best years and you'll make 70% of your best salary until you die. That doesn't exist in many companies. God forbid a startup, right? Like it's, or any, any, any company that hasn't been around for like, I don't even know, like maybe 30, 40, 50, 100 years, they don't offer that stuff anymore. So what some companies do, I think they offer like a, so that's a, I guess, a defined benefit. And then there's like a defined contribution pension where yes. you put yes. like six to 8% of your paycheck in and the, the company or maybe a little bit less than the company will match it. That's at least better than nothing. But many companies don't have pensions. Many companies have nothing. Many companies, you just get your paycheck. So the, the concept of uh, investing small incremental amounts leveraging that compound interest over time. Even just like, if you look at like, like traditionally like investing in the S&P 500, like if you just invested in that every year with with this kind of strategy, um, regardless of whether or not it's employee sponsored or not, you could still easily become a millionaire after X amount of years because that it, it's always net positive. The S&P has never, like it's gone down like for some years, but I mean like over an aggregated period of time in history, like it's always gone up. So, and then that interest just keeps compounding, compounding, compounding. Um, and that's something that I remember one of my jobs, one of the one of the owners of the company actually taught this over to people. And it was like one of the most, when I was much younger in my career, and it was one of the most useful lessons that I've ever learned. Um, because again, this stuff is not taught in school. Unfortunately, it's not yeah. I, like not even close. I think like one class we had like a, like I'm just thinking like high school, university. It was like I was like a liberal arts degree. <laughs> I was like I was pre law, so there was like no no math, no finance, nothing. Um, but uh, you know, in in high school where everybody goes to high school, you know, much more people go to high school than than some people that go to college or university. But still in high school, like um, like nothing. Like maybe a class on taxes, maybe, but nothing on this. You know, I learned like trigonometry, like, you know, like sin post hand, like, but like, I don't know how to become a millionaire after grade 12. And that's an issue. Like, I'd much rather have that. So this is very, very smart. I think, I think a lot of stuff's broken with education and what we teach. And I think it's changing. Absolutely. I, I don't know. I'm not in it anymore, but I think it's changing. I but. hope so. We need it for sure. I mean, like you, even in my high school, I, I learned zero, zero about anything to yeah. do with finance. And it's really unfortunate, too, because if we go, at least in America, um, you know, go to college, we need to know the difference between subsidized, unsubsidized student loans and that, you mm-hmm. know, student loans are not there to just, you know, redecorate your dorm room, which is what your happens. Dorm room, we get like an unlimited meal plan, right? Like, oh gosh, exactly. Exactly. Like it needs to be, you know, instilled. And unfortunately, at least at my, in my time, it was not, it was not. <laughs> and, you know, like some professions make up for it. Like I have a, uh, actually I was just talking to my, my brother this morning and his girlfriend is, is going through med school and she's like 500 K in debt, but like, she's expecting to make that back. Right. Like she's yeah. going to be a doctor and she's going to be drawing a pretty good salary, but not everybody makes like a hundred, 150, 200 K a year when they're done you know, university. Like, okay. I think, uh, you know, like for, for many, it's like, you know, what, 30, 40, 50, 60, maybe in, in your first year graduated. So it's uh, it's tough. And then if you have that, like, I don't know, like some colleges, uh, it's a little bit different. Uh, some Canadians, it's a little bit different, but still it's like, you know, like it's expensive. It, it gets pretty damn expensive. You can get a couple hundred thousand dollars in debt after you graduate. And if you're making 40K a year, you have, you know, maybe you're getting married, maybe you have kids, maybe you 
uh, 40K, if you're on your own, you're probably not buying a house just yet. But like eventually you want to buy a house, you know, life happens, car breaks down, whatever. Like you're not paying that off anytime soon. If I'm not mistaken, actually, Biden just did like some sort of debt or or um, uh, relief for a whole bunch of student loans. But still, like, I don't think that's everybody. Right. So. Yeah, it's it's really tough. And I think, um, and you know, to your point, I think that a lot of uh, these burdens, the debt burdens on millennials, especially right coming out of college, it's definitely shifting the entire landscape as we know it when it comes to family formation, for example, that's definitely put off later. Uh, we can certainly see that already in the population pyramid. Um, home ownership, that's also put off, typically speaking, later for millennials. A lot of those major life milestones, um, they're no longer happening like they used to. And it's definitely, I think it's definitely concerning um, at, you know, at some point, especially millennials now already coming out of college, entering their careers with so much debt. It's it really shouldn't be this way. And and hopefully there's a way to change it. I mean, there are other countries well, this, out there. That this, what you're like, teaching is the way to change it. Thank you. Yeah. Fiscal responsibility, so. investing. Yeah. That's a way to change it. I, I don't, I don't think we can depend on, on like, I, I, I don't know. I don't want to say we can't depend, but I don't want to have to depend on traditional institutions to fix this problem. I rather enable people to defi- like fix it themselves. Yes. That's, that's the way I see it. Like, you know how bad it is? Like, you know, it's obviously major urban areas. So New York, mm-hmm. Los Angeles, San Francisco, um, Toronto, Vancouver. Um, and uh, to be middle class in Toronto, you have to be making about, I think, 150000 And like, don't even look at like home ownership, like detached home ownership, unless you're, you know, combined income 200 to 300000 Like, it's just insane. Like, it's just not normal. Like a detached townhome is over a million. A detached home is like, it's like 2 million. <laughs> And like Vancouver, West Coast is even worse. I think Vancouver is now some of the worst homes in mm-hmm. that has like the most unaffordable housing market in North America. So much to the point where in urban areas like restaurants and brick and mortar can't even get uh, staff because the people that work those jobs cannot afford to live anywhere within commute distance. It's just like not okay. And New York, same. San Francisco, the same. I see. I saw homes in San Francisco. My God, like, like, a, like a, it's like a two million dollar bungalow. It's like insane. It's insane. And it's not a nice looking home either. Like, you gotta, you gotta find other ways to make money now. So this is, this is some of them. These are like the building blocks to be, you know, competitive in in twenty twenty one and beyond. So I think that's why. I think that's also why you know it's so great that you're doing this because I, it shows you that you started this what, two years ago, and, and you're in a top, you know, a top 50 personal finance block, not, not enough people are teaching this, obviously, there's still like a huge need. Anyway, very interesting stuff. Okay. Um, I wanted to ask some rapid fire, like career questions from you just to pull out some lessons from your career and your life. Um, before I before I sort of, you know, pivot, uh, we went through a lot of stuff. Was there anything that we didn't go into that I, I forgot to ask about or that I didn't ask about that you wanted to bring up? No, I think we covered everything. We did a lot. That was good. That was very good. <laughs> Pretty good. <laughs> okay. Let's go into some like rapid fire career questions. Um, okay. One thing. Uh, so what was the biggest misconception that you had about entrepreneurship um, or anybody would have about entrepreneurship? And how has that changed over the past two two years? 
that it's glamorous, honestly. Uh, when I first started in, you know, before I even quit, I thought entrepreneurship is just, you know, 100% incredible and glamorous because you have the freedom and you get to be your own boss. And to some extent, I think it's true that you do get to become your own boss, but everyone, you know, I, my boss is technically my audience, right? So I may, I always have to make sure to cater to my audience. So although I'm free, I'm not exactly free. I always need to make sure that in order to keep up, I also cater to my audience. So it's not glamorous. There's a lot of work, uh, many sleepless nights, and it's like you're married. It's like a relationship, right? Me and yeah. the blog, it's, you know, there's no I'm way of getting rid of it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, what was the biggest challenge you've had in your career um, and how did you overcome it? Okay, so I'll start in um, my, my entrepreneurial career. It's mm -hmm, just believing sure. in myself. Um, I, I think in the beginning, I did, I did know that I could do it, but I don't think I actually, because I didn't see the results right away, I didn't believe in myself and I always doubted myself until I actually saw the results. And I think a lot of people, especially in today's world of instant gratification, if you don't see results within you know week one, month one, whatever, whatever it is, a lot of people tend to give up. And I'm, I'm really thankful I didn't, but I, I was definitely on the verge of feeling like, you know, this isn't for me, I'm not seeing any results and stopping. But in the end, when are made because they don't quit it's a good it's a good quote i like that quote that's <laughs> very good okay um what 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 would one lesson be that you would tell your younger self i would probably tell myself to think boldly and think more critically. Um, I think when I was younger, especially in school and even at university, um, I always believed what the teachers told me and the professors told me 100% without thinking, uh, you know, trying to think critically at all. And I think as I grew older and actually entered, you know, even corporate America, and especially as I started my own business, I really started to think boldly and critically. I was trying to figure out like, okay, is this, is this fact accurate or what's wrong about it? And how can I make sure that I am actually doing the right thing? Um, and I think, unfortunately, at least my school system instilled upon me to always respect authority, um, being the teachers, right, and the professors, and to never question what was told. And, um, Thankfully, I, I did change out of that mold. Uh, and I think that was part of my fixed mindset to growth mindset transformation. But mm -hmm. it took a while. And I think I could have probably achieved a lot more had I thought more critically and boldly initially. Very good advice. Um, one person that has been uh, or has had a major impact on your life, who is that? But also, how do they impact your life? What did they teach you? That person is my millionaire mentor. Um, he has an incredible story. I, again, I was very fortunate to meet him at a young age uh, in my probably late teens. Um, so he has his story. He grew up in a, uh, you know, immigrant, first of all. Uh, so not English was not his first language, had a mother, no father in a household, very poor um, in probably one of the worst parts um, in the city. And he grew up, at, became an employee, hated 
being an employee, never followed, was fired on the spot, started his own business at 26, failed two years later, bankrupt everything, had to move back to his mom's place. And then I think it was, he was 29, um, he started a business again and was able, I think thir three decades down the road, uh, he sold it for several tens of millions of dollars. And then he started, you know, startups, et cetera, et cetera, just a serial entrepreneur. So biggest lesson there is to never ever be afraid of failure. Um, and I think, you know, goes back to my school system at least, uh, not, not a, that I'm trying to blame them, but I was always taught that failure is something that's very bad and it always came with negative uh, repercussions. And I think that we really need to switch our mindset to say that failure is something positive. You got to learn from it. It just changes your trajectory for the better. Um, and I think that was the biggest piece of advice my mentor gave me. Very good. Very good. Um, what's one source that you uh, would recommend people go check out? It could be a book, a podcast, anything. Mm -hmm. So there are several. The first one is a book called Winning by Jack Welch. Uh, he is a former CEO of GE. Um, incredible man, incredible life history. I think he actually co-authored it with his um, with Susie Welch. I think it's maybe his former wife. But anyway, a really incredible book. Talks about business. So if you're an entrepreneur and you really want to explore the business space and become a true leader, that's one of the books that I would highly, highly recommend. Um, another book that I personally really liked was um, Atomic Habits. It's, mm -hmm. it's an incredible book, really talks about how every day, you know, your daily habits really, truly, you know, compound over 10, 20, 30 years, and they can truly determine whether or not you'll be successful or unsuccessful. Um, and I probably read through that book twice. I mean, probably within like a week, it was so good, so much information. Um, and I highly recommend it to anyone who's interested in improving their lifestyle. Very good. Very good. Okay. Um, and then last question, what does success mean to you? I think success to me, and that's a really good question. Um, it's the name of the show. It's like, I got yeah, it. I know, right? <laughs> yeah. um, probably living life just on my own terms and being able to improve, even if it's just half a step better than I was yesterday. Um, I don't need to be the world's richest person. I don't need to be the world's most famous person. I don't care about that. All I care is about looking at myself in the mirror the next morning and making sure that I am 1% better than I was yesterday. And if that's in the business, if it, if that has to do with money, whatever it is, I just want to be 1% better. And over the course of my lifetime, I will be a much better, much more successful person all around than I was when I first started this journey. Very good. And then most importantly, how do people get in touch with you? Website, socials, all that. Certainly. So first of all, definitely my website, themillennialmoneywoman.com. If you're into Twitter, then you can definitely find me at the underscore MMW. And then Pinterest, I do still have my Pinterest account open. It's the Millennial Money Woman. Um, I'm not on it as often, though, as I should be probably. <laughs> no, no, we'll, we'll, we'll send, we'll put it all in the show notes. People can go wherever they like to go and we'll go connect. <laughs> I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show and NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners, because there's one thing that we all know. 
Business is about making money and it's about your bottom line. And the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business, the more profits you keep. But these days, everything is costing more. Supplies, people, shipping. It squeezes your margins. And I've been there juggling multiple systems for finance, inventory, you name it each with its own costs and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform, accounting, finance, the works, one data source for everyone. There's no more mismatched info. And because it's in the cloud, it slashes your IT costs. No more servers, no more updates. Just access NetSuite from anywhere. With one integrated suite, your overhead drops big time. And here's the real win. Efficiency. Everything's connected in NetSuite. Costs are ridiculous lately. Find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team. It's a no-brainer, and that's what NetSuite offers. Over 37,000 companies have figured this out already. You have to join them. Right now, through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash scottclary. That's netsuite.com slash scottclary. I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. It's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information, but Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone, and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all Success Story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash success. Hey everyone, I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. Now I don't have a lot of liquor sponsors on this show. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is actually one of my favorites. I've drank it for a few years now, and this is why we actually decided to work together. Heaven Hill Distillery, family-owned since 1935, is a great entrepreneur story, too. So there's five brothers. They filled their first whiskey barrels back in 1935, and their legacy still lives on today. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is aged over seven years. That's three more than required by the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897. This means the best quality, the best purity, and the best consistency. This is not just average bourbon. It's the winner of the double gold medals at multiple 2023 World Spirits competitions, and they've won the very prestigious Triple Still Award. It's a very big deal in the liquor and bourbon world. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond boasts an exceptionally smooth oak flavor, while its aroma offers a sweet blend of caramel and smooth vanilla. If you love bourbon, you need to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Think back to your last few days in the office. Did any of them leave you feeling really accomplished? Not the kind of day where you're running around like crazy, but where you've made real progress on something that matters. Because being busy doesn't always mean being productive. And I bet you we've all been there. And maybe it's time to rethink 
what it means to get things done. Today's episode is sponsored by Belay. And what they help you do is, instead of getting sucked into emails and to-do lists, they help you delegate tasks and focus on big goals. They can connect you with top-notch US-based talent who are ready to take on those time-consuming tasks that bog you down. Let's be real. There are way more important things you could be doing than bookkeeping or wrangling a packed inbox. They have virtual assistants to handle all of those pesky administrative tasks or accounting professionals to take care of all your financials. But here's the best part. You don't have to waste weeks searching for the right person. Belay's personalized matching service works quickly, sometimes matching you with the right talent to take stuff off your plate in under a week. Are you ready to try a different way of working? Check out Belay's list of the top 25 things you can delegate to a virtual assistant. It might just change your business and your life. Text success, that's S-U-C-C-E-S-S to 55123 to get the list and to start transforming your to-do list with Belay. Thank you so much indeed for sponsoring Success Story. For all business leaders out there, Indeed is a lifesaver. See, we're always driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. You're going to ditch the busy work and you're going to use Indeed for scheduling, screening, messaging, so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Clary. Just go to Indeed.com slash Clary right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Clary. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. 